Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. When I get that feeling, I want podular healing. <laughs> There's creams for that, Kevin. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. How are you? I am very good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good also. Thank you very much. Very good. Looking forward to today's episode. Yes, it's uh, it should be a good one. So remind people again what we are going through. Uh, so this uh, this week we will be going through Otis Redding's Live in Europe. Indeed, and we shall find out whether Otis prevails over the album I took us through last time, which was James Brown's Live at the Apollo. Um, so yeah, this concludes the final clash in our live season. So we hope you've enjoyed it. Indeed. So yeah, but before before we do that, uh, it is time for our regular feature, Video Killed the Radio Star, and it is my pick. Indeed. And the video I've picked is one uh, which it probably isn't that well known, but it's, it's it's an old one. So it's it's the video from 1999 to the track Aisha by Death in Vegas featuring Iggy Pop. And so the video is directed by Terry Richardson and it shows a woman in a red silk dress and very little else. She's frightened. She's running away from something. But what is she running away from? Ah, okay, it's just for a film shoot in the end. So, Kev, what do you think? So it is um, very. In, it was very infamous at the time. Like it had heavy rotation on MTV Two, a channel that we have barely mentioned on Album Clash at all. And it is quite a disturbing voyeuristic video when you when you look at it, and particularly given the allegations against the director that have subsequently emerged. Oh, I'm not aware of any such allegations. So, um, since 2001, Richardson has been accused multiple times of using his influence in the fashion industry to sexually exploit models during photo shoots. Ooh. So, so it gives it very much gives it a, another kind of context as well. It really does because there are there are times in the video where there seems to be some some quite deft editing to uh, prevent it being rather more explicit than uh, than it is, if you know what I mean. As I said, she's wearing a red dress and very little else. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that. And yeah, that does put an entirely different context on it. You're right. It was quite infamous at the time anyway. And I, what I will say is that it fits the song uh, because the song Aisha is Iggy Pop basically saying, I am a murderer <laughs> yeah. all the way. I mean, uh, so... I love that tune. I love the Contino Sessions, which is the album it's taken from. And I'm, I know you do too. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure as an Iggy fan, that, that that is an added bonus for you as well. Oh yeah, like I, I, like the song is a belter, and I've always really like really liked it. And, and uh, the Contino Sessions is a is a great album. Yeah, yeah. It, so there's there's no, I have no issue with the song, and the video isn't jarring with the song. But it's visually arresting. It is very arresting. And so I, I wanted to come at it from the point of view. And, and now there is there is obviously a risk in looking at things from from a long time ago with a with a modern day through a modern day prism. 
although there is also merit to that. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about it in the context of things like the Reclaim These Streets movement, for example, mm-hmm. and, and some of the high-profile tragic crimes that have occurred in the UK against against young women in recent years and elsewhere in the world as well. That, like, I would hope you wouldn't see a video like that nowadays, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I don't. I actually, I actually don't think that a video like that would would come about these days. Mm. I think, in the light of again stuff like the detestable Robin Thicke and yes. all that, that seems to be like an idea that had had been reached. Yeah. And I don't believe, like, although I don't watch as many music videos as I did when I was younger, so I could well be wrong. But I don't believe that it that there is that kind of iconic that kind of image is is as prevalent as it used to be iconography that's what i was going for yeah yeah no i i think you're absolutely right and so the reason i said the thing at the end oh it's just a film shoot this is like so that that is obviously supposed to be that i know it's okay she's not really scared because it's a film shoot it's like it's not really the point is it it's like so another one i thought about doing was the smack my bitch up video by the prodigy where just for me, at least, just because at the end of the video you see in the mirror, it's a woman anyway, doesn't excuse all the horribly misogynistic and violent imagery that you've seen over the previous three and a half minutes, for me mm-hmm. at least. Yeah, it's it feels like, looking back on it now, it feels lazy. Lazy is a very, very good way of describing it, yes. So, um, yeah, great song, problematic video. Uh, even more so now that I am aware of uh, the allegations against its director. So um, shall we extricate ourselves from Wokey Hole for this week? Yeah, let's let's try and uh, lift. <laughs> Remember that this is supposed to be somewhat entertaining. <laughs> we have descended into uh, Wokey Hole again. We have, as I say, we have indeed descended into Wokey Hole from which we should extricate ourselves. I will say, so as usual, we will tweet the link out to the video uh we will put a trigger warning with it however i think mm-hmm. okay so it's i suppose it's it's on to me to take us on to our next element it is our new feature introduced by you kevin yes album of the pod album of the pod so do you have an album of the pod to point to our listeners yeah i do actually and it's it's one released this year quite recently actually so the album is called Expert in a Dying Field. Uh, it's a debut album by The Beths. Uh, the Beths are a New Zealand indie band fronted by Elizabeth Beth Stokes, uh, who has what I would say is an unashamedly antipodean twang to her voice, and it's all the better for it. Okay. Um, so yeah, The Beths, it, what is it? It's, it's lovely, uplifting indie guitar pop and is a perfect way to blow away the autumnal blues. Lovely stuff. Um what uh what's the name of the of the album so the album is expert in a dying field um and the band is the beths okay so um i'm not sure how we've we've decided we're going to curate uh album of the pod yet but once we start getting a few more we will have a list or yes. playlist or something somewhere so indeed wait for wait for that to come out but yeah that's a good one to check out i've not heard them so i'm i'll be interested to hear it Great stuff. Okay, so then, without further ado, Kev, please start taking us through Otis Redding's Live in Europe. Okay, so Live in Europe, it's uh, by Otis Redding. Uh, It was released 
July 10th, 1967. So exactly five months before Otis died. Mm. It was his first live album and it was recorded during the Stax Vault Tour of Europe. Uh, Otis is backed by the Booker T and the MGs, fucking brilliantly, but we will get on yes. to that. <laughs> uh, and recorded in the Olympia Theatre Paris on March 21st, 1967. Now, what I will say, and I will get into, we'll talk about this as well, is that most of the voices you can hear are American. <laughs> Yeah. I, I yes. can't hear. I didn't hear any like a francophone accent or anything when they were shouting out. Nope. There's one voice in particular that I want to talk about. Oh yeah. <laughs> she she's bringing the devils to the. Um... <laughs> exactly. We'll come to it. We'll come to it. So a little bit about Otis Redding, really. So he he made an unscheduled appearance at a Stax recording session. He was part of Johnny Jenkins' band, The Pine Toppers, and they they did like a recording session at Stax. And basically, they recognized he's not bad, that lad. He (laughs) might have something. (laughs) Yeah. So, led to a contract and his first hit single, which was These Arms of Mine, uh, released in 1962. So, through so in the next sort of five years up until up until his death really otis redding is huge and is massively important in popularizing black r&b soul music and making uh you know making it palatable or certainly popularized amongst uh white america and all across the world really mm-hmm. so like massively important tours in so the stacks vault tour in 67 hugely boosted him and uh the other coterie of artists on the stack stack roster who who were on on that tour and we will we will get into that um mm-hmm. he also performed at the monterey pop festival in 67 so it is the the huge tragedy of otis redding is at the point of his death he's about to explode and he could like he's still an iconic and amazing figure but he may well have become bigger than james brown because just before his death he records uh sitting on the dock of the bay with steve cropper and like they released they released the dock of the bay album but you know who knows who knows Mm -hmm. where otis redding would have gone to uh because like his songwriting and again this is something we'll get into when we when we do the album as a whole that uh, just some absolute stunning, stunning songs in his in his back catalogue, and such a short period of time that shone so brightly. Uh, absolutely, I'm sure you'll come on to to talk about the circumstances of of, of his death, but, but but very tragic. And yeah, I think you're quite right. He could have become as big as James Brown. I think, as we'll, without giving any spoilers away, as we'll come on to as a performer. He was certainly up there, and I think that shines through on this album. And I, as I said, I, I so the, the performance at Monterey is quite quite legendary. And I, you've explained that obviously this is his first live album, so there's a good connection there. But I, I did think when you mentioned Otis that this would be that would be the album that you uh, that you chose to do. But um, yeah, looking forward to getting into this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we uh, before we get into it, so and I think the audience knows from from the previous week tim well how was the what was the first time you came across this uh it's a first listen again for me uh, i had not heard the album previously very familiar with otis redding's material um big fan 
of, uh, of stuff I've heard of his, but this was not an album I'd heard before. How about you? Okay, so I've I've known it for certainly longer than, than yourself. So a few years ago, uh, someone bought me the uh, Stacks uh, Respect Yourself Story of Stacks Records DVD, which had had on it a bonus live performance of the Stacks Vault Review Tour. So it was hmm. so it wasn't this performance; it was uh, taken from live in Norway on the seventh of April. So on the same tour. And had Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, Arthur Conley, the Marquis, Booker T and the MGs. So not I mean, a bad can lineup. We just, that. Fucking hell, not a bad lineup at all. Jesus, yeah. And so following following that, and obviously knowing about through watching that and like listening to more Otis Redding, I came like I came across uh, live in Europe, and you know definitely like and I have listened to it for quite a while. But I would definitely also point uh, the listeners in the direction of the Respect Yourself uh, Stacks uh, documentary. It's really good. So I was going to say, I haven't seen that, but it, so- it does sound really interesting. So I'm going to try and check that out. Do you know if it is available on any of the streaming platforms? I, I am not aware if it is on any of the streaming platforms. I'm sure that it is available somewhere on uh, the World Wide Web. So, um, yes, uh, the artwork. So it's pretty basic. It's a photograph of Otis Redding live in performance singing wearing a lovely jacket I have to very say. sharp red suit and shirt combo I'm liking the I'm liking the font gate because with it being yep. such a simple cover Otis Redding uh, written in a, a quite bold uh, red fi- uh, face type I'm liking the font game here I think it, yep. it's it's not the most exciting album cover in the world but it's it's very strong it's a bold image. It is a bold image. I agree. The font's great. Very black exploitation, um, mm-hmm. which is which is always good. So yeah, there's that going for it. But I think we would both agree, very much second best in the album cover off from these two albums. Yeah, with so without question, yes, I would agree. Okay, should we start getting into it then? Yeah, let's get into it. So we open with the little-known uh, number respect. Yeah, so popularized in modern culture by. Aretha Franklin. Most people don't realise that it is an Otis Redding original. Yeah, so may I borrow a phrase that I believe the kids are want to use nowadays. I was today years old when I realised that it was an Otis Redding original and uh, that his version was not a cover. Right, okay. So, sorry, well, not today years old, but like a couple of weeks ago years old when I first started <laughs> researching this album. Yeah, I am one of those people to my shame. I was very familiar with Otis Redding's version of the song. I did not, however, realise that that was the original. So, uh, hands up and say, yeah, sorry for that. Well, I'm not sure who I'm apologising to. Otis Redding, I guess. But, I mean, I mean that's testimony to how brilliant Aretha's cover is, that... It, yes. it has become the definitive version, even yes. though. So even though I really like Otis Redding's um, original, you can't really get past Aretha's version of it. But we we shall move on. Fuck me, Booker T and the MGs are not a bad band. Oh my god, absolutely! There is not a bum note anywhere on this album, and Jesus Christ, how tight were they? Because this is played. It's belted out like it's a 100-meter dash. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. so furious and fast, and they are absolutely faultless. They are, like, the bass work um, and the brass I particularly particularly picked out. 
Otis sounds just beautiful, just brilliant. Um, and to play it at that pace as well, what an opening, what a start. I agree. I have one minor gripe. So I agree, Otis does sound incredible. I have one minor gripe with this. And that's the on this track. I think his voice is a little bit too low down in the mix. Don't get me wrong; I love hearing the band, but I'm here to listen to Otis, and I think his voice is a bit too quiet on this track. And I think it's it's something that we're going to return to throughout this is that the the recording is not brilliant. Yeah, the, agreed. There are some songs where the performance is great, but the sound isn't amazing, and. And so I, I perfectly understand where you're coming from, that he's not necessarily high up enough in the mix. But uh, yeah, that, that is a minor gripe, because I think this is great. Big fan. Right, so we then move on to Can't Turn You Loose. Mm. Again, an Otis Redding original. God, I wish I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Proper soul standard. Like, it's funky, it's fast, it's furious, it's fun. Yeah, like playing at that tempo, like we are, like we are going to eulogise about Booker T and the MGs. What well, we are indeed. So, so on the band and the tempo, I've said, like, can can you imagine being part of the brass section? How fucking knackered would you have been after playing for ninety minutes as part of Booker T and the MGs, as part of Otis Redding's backing band? I mean, Christ. I'm an asthmatic, right? And I'm fairly certain I wouldn't last two songs before I needed to empty an entire canister of Ventolin into my lungs just to keep going. <laughs> Honestly, they they must have like elephant lungs. <laughs> it's it's it is incredible. Absolutely incredible. So again, yeah, the tempo. So it it again, just like respect. It's another one played at the tempo that's like the four-minute warning has just sounded, and they're trying to get an entire set list in before the world comes to an end. <laughs> and Otis, oh, just wow, the energy yeah. that he exudes is, is mind-blowing. So I'm going to say it now, Jagger wishes he could have reached these heights. And listen, Mick Jagger is undoubtedly, if there's a Mount Rushmore of front men, Jagger's undoubtedly on it, okay? But... Wow. I know. Unbelievable. Also, whilst we were discussing the brass section, I did, I did think, is there like one of those uh, no-win-no-fee uh, lawyer firms knocking about, have you played in a, in a Stax Vault uh, review? <laughs> Do you suffer from Trumpeter's Lung? <laughs> if so, call Shyster, Shyster and Shyster. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's incredible. Goodness me. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so two songs in, having great time. Yep. And then we move into a song that Otis Redding wrote with Jerry Butler. So I've been loving you too long. Wow. Mm-hmm. Spellbinding. It is spellbinding. So the first thing I say is, thank Christ they've decided to chuck in a slow number. Otherwise, <laughs> I was going to have a coronary listen to the fucking thing, let alone the band playing. <laughs> but yeah it is slower but it is still incredible i mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we went through live at the apollo but you can hear a pin drop again in because the crowd is just completely enraptured by otis redding in this yeah it's just it's perfect it's perfectly pitched and you like to go from having the crowd up and absolutely like the place be absolutely jumping and then 
switch it like that and then wow like to have as you say a pin drop and just such a vocal tour de force oh it's it's brilliant it is it is band again sound great although someone apparently someone seems to fuck up or do something after the first verse i'm not sure what but the audience seems to find something very amusing after the first <laughs> verse um lovely organ part i mean we've spoken before you gotta love a hammond organ haven't you of course yeah i love the way this ends yeah i, I think you've got otis pleading bearing his soul on the stage uh, and it just showcases what you said before like what a tragic loss he was how strong a vocalist he was for, for me it's between him and Wilson Pickett in terms of my favorite male vocalists both had an incredible range both had incredible energy and you know both were able to just pack such emotion into a few simple bars of, of music and nowhere on this album is that better showcased than in this track brilliant I I could not put it any better than than you have there so We'll move on to the Smokey Robinson uh, written My Girl. Yeah. Can I just, just I, I want to um, call out one of the lyrics in, in My Girl. Okay. I've got so much honey, the bees envy me. I mean, that seems a bit harsh on Macaulay Culkin, if you ask me. He was literally <laughs> killed by bees in the film that inspired this song. <laughs> Highly distasteful, if you ask me. Also, is it suggesting that, um, well, is it Otis Redding or Smokey Robinson is actually a bee baron and is controlling <laughs> controlling supplies of honey? That's true. It's like Homer with his massive pile of sugar. First you get the honey. <laughs> Tick. Yep, indeed. There we go. Simpsons reference. Get in. So... I have to say, I have never been hugely keen on My Girl as a song. I've always found it quite twee. However, I have to say, I found myself clicking my fingers along to this. I think the brass section is everything to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and perhaps that's what makes it. So the, the the version that was used in the film, My Girl, was the Temptations version, I believe, uh, which uses strings rather than brass. And perhaps that's the difference. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, I prefer this version to any other version I have heard, I would say. Um, so I, I'm i a, a lot fonder of uh, My Girl than, than you are. I think, I think it's perfectly performed here. Again, Otis Redding's voice is just sumptuous. The, and I think you I think you are absolutely right in highlighting the brass that it does it does add something to it that the original doesn't doesn't necessarily have. So yeah, I think I think it's a again, it's a brilliant performance. Uh yeah, it is a good performance. Uh I have a complaint, however, I am not a fan of using a fade out on a live album. So I I'm not happy with the way this ends. Okay. Fair point. But okay. there you go. Other than that, I like it. All right. Yeah. So let's let's shake. Let's shake. Yeah. Originally a Sam Sam Cook song. Mm-hmm. This is where you this is where you see Otis Redding's uh, brilliance as a live performer in sort of capturing the audience and getting yeah. them to go along with him. Yeah, this is a belter. Everyone giving it maximum effort. Otis is incredible. The band is tight. Glorious horns, but undoubtedly. It's the drumming yeah. that steals the show on this track. 
absolutely incredible. We waxed lyrical about Keith Moon when we went through Live at Leeds a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The drumming on this is easily good enough to give Keith Moon a run for his money. Wow. Yeah, they are such an amazing band, mm-hmm. uh, Booker T and the MGs. Yes, uh, very much so, very much so. Fantastic. We mentioned production quality, recording quality, production quality, etc. Uh, and this, and perhaps this is why there was a fade out on the previous track, but the band, it sounds a lot quieter here than they did on the previous track. Yeah. And it's a bit jarring. So, yeah, I, I, I call me pedantic by highlighting that, but it struck me every time I listened to the album, let's put it that way. No, and that's that's fair enough. You know, the we've said that the, there is an issue here with sound quality, and if that's something that's going to jolt you out of the, the experience a little bit, then, you know, it has to be highlighted. Yeah, absolutely. But um, as I said, that is my only criticism of, of, of this track, because I think Shake is an absolute rammer. In, I completely agree. So... That is the end of uh, the first side. We Mm. move on to the second half of the album and we open with Satisfaction. Um, So instantly, we've just talked about sound quality. I'm going to raise it straight away here. The sound quality here isn't isn't great at all and it does impact on the enjoyment of it. It it, it isn't great. I have to say, not as much as on previous tracks, but I know what you mean. In terms of the impact on on the enjoyment, yeah, because I think this is fucking boss. Oh God, don't get me wrong. Like the band and Otis are utterly on fire. Like the, this is a brilliant cover, and we always talk about with covers, do something different, do something interesting, mm-hmm. and they are fantastic here. And yeah, have a have a lovely time. It, it is just a shame that the sound isn't as good as it could be. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, so you talk about doing something different. Uh, one thing that Otis did that was different was um, singing different words. And I'd like to <laughs> quote Otis, if I may. He said, of this version, I use a lot of different words in the Stones version. That's because I made them up. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the horns are great. The drums are great. The band itself, as a collective, is great. It just elevates it to unassailable heights. Like, I, 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 I like Satisfaction. It's a really good song, but Jesus Christ, they're, beat, they're beating the stones at their own game here. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And there's a freak out at the end, which is just glorious. Yeah, and all of that packed into less than three minutes. Yes, exa- indeed. Because that, that's one of the other things that we've not really talked about, is that the longest track on this album is the last one, and that's five minutes. Yeah, like everything is just belted through, even yeah. the ballads. It's it, as I said, like it's like they've all dropped a fucking speedball before coming on stage. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> okay, so we move on to far, 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 far. Sad song. <laughs> Sad song. So another Otis Redding original, written with Steve Cropper. Jesus Christ! Do the band want everyone to have a coronary? Like the speed that this is played at uh-huh. is is just ridiculous. I was going to say it like sad song, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> they should call it fun song, not sad song. Fast song. <laughs> it's lovely. This it's upbeat. It's fun. It makes me feel like I'm part of the experience. Which was as we've talked about consistently when we go through live albums. That is a key ingredient of a good live album, and I feel it here. 
yeah, I, I, I'm having an absolute belting time. It's it's so fun. This it's a bajillion miles an hour, and everyone it's like we're running out of superlatives now. The, we are. It's just yeah. it's performed brilliantly, and we finally we get to. Um, she really <laughs> wants to hear good to me. It's the woman from Get Your Yaya's Out Again. <laughs> Play it, you devils! <laughs> good to me. <laughs> I actually had it. Do you think it's also Arsenal's screaming lady? (laughs) (laughs) So for anyone who hasn't got a clue what I'm talking about, uh, when Arsenal used to play at Highbury, there was a woman uh, who sat, obviously she sat near the front at at the North Bank. And so whenever Arsenal conceded a goal down that end of the pitch, you could hear a scream. Uh, <laughs> I ball quite a high-pitched scream, yeah. And, and let's be absolutely clear: we are big supporters of the Her Game Two movement on Album Clash. So this is this is in no way casting aspersions on women going to football. It was just notable that consistently, when Arsenal conceded a goal down the North Bank, you would hear Arsenal's screaming lady. And then they moved to the Emirates, and she was no more to be heard. She's moved away from the microphone. <laughs> So, but yeah, she's clearly here, and as you said, she really wants to hear good to me. Yeah, she's not taking well. She doesn't get it. <laughs> she does not get it. What does she get instead? She gets these arms of mine again. Another Otis Redding original, and um, it's beautiful. It's so well performed. Everything is just on point. Like. Yep. This, these are. This is a band. This is a, a, an artist who are at the peak of their powers, and it it's lightning in a bottle. This, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so to be honest, I have to say, the first time I heard these arms of mine was as a kid when my mum and my sister made me watch Dirty Dancing. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, however, I am happy to report that despite that childhood trauma, I love this song. And I love this rendition. Those buttery guitar licks just sound lush. I think the unheralded glory again is the organ. It just underpins everything with a sort of soulful melancholy, if you like. That just I melt into this performance. It's beautiful. Yeah, it absolutely it absolutely is. And you you lose yourself in it. And again, it has that power of the crowd just completely completely into it well most of the crowd well apart from obviously good to me lady who is who was fuming yeah lovely stuff really lovely okay and we move on to day tripper by a little known beat combo from uh, liverpool yeah indeed the the, the quarry men wasn't it I, th- I think so that pete best <laughs> drummer <laughs> So it has been a. I can't recall what album uh, Day Trip is on that, uh, that but uh, it had been a, a standard Otis cover for, uh-huh. for a while. I love it. Love this version. Uh, I think it gives a completely different vibe. It makes it into like it sounds like a proper soul standard, which I've never heard it in that way before. And I, like, obviously, the everyone knows that the Beatles are massively influenced by you know, 50s R&B and uh, soul music and stuff. And it's great that Otis Redden has kind of taken it back to its roots, really, in, in this in this version. I really like it. 
I mean, it starts off at a hell of a pace, which considering you've just had these arms of mine, just jolts you into life, doesn't it? Yeah. Energy from everyone is incredible. Yes, it does It does sound like a soul track. Uh, I really like it, but it's not Day Tripper for me. It just lacks something that the original has. Maybe it's the vocal harmonies. Maybe it's George Harrison's guitar part. Maybe it's John Lennon's voice. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm a closet racist. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something missing in it. I like it a lot. I don't love it. It's, it's, so the, the cover of Satisfaction was fucking phenomenal. This is really good, but it isn't fucking phenomenal. Okay, and that, that's, that's fair enough. So we come to the end of the album. We get to the fireworks factory. We Although, do... to, to, to be fair, the whole album has been a glorious display of pyrotechnic proficiency. So It really has. <laughs> and so we, we end with Try a Little Tenderness. Now, amazingly, like I didn't realise until doing this album, because I actually looked into who had, who had done this. So I'd, I knew it wasn't a Notice Reading original, but I didn't realise the song was as old as it was. So it's first recorded in 1932. Oh, right. And had been, it was on Frank Sinatra's debut album, The Voice of Frank Sinatra in 1946. Wow. Um, it, is, it is, you know, always associated with Otis Redding because of how, yeah. how it's done and that kind of the slow build and then into the the band just absolutely losing it and it's yeah. it's always been one of my all-time favorites i'd be gutted if otis redding didn't finish with this <laughs> you'd be fucking fuming you'd be like the good to me lady yeah I would be <laughs> uh, yeah absolutely right this is the cherry in the manhattan cocktail it's the orange twist in the old-fashioned christ i want to drink now <laughs> <laughs> this is what we've come for and yes, it is fucking incredible. I love the way that it kicks back in just while the MC is trying to usher in the end of the performance. Yeah. It's like, fuck you, pal. We'll decide when the show's over, not you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's always like, so I've heard other live and watched uh, live performance, and it's always a highlight is mm. Try a Little Tenderness because yeah, of magic. Ju- just like the ferocity of the ending, like with mm. the juxtaposes with just the gentleness of the opening. I, I think you're absolutely right. This is this is your perfect build to a crescendo song. It's phenomenal. There are two cover versions, two further versions of this song that I would like to um, to talk about oh, briefly, God. if I may. Well, so firstly, there's uh, the commitments. So we mentioned the commitments mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago when we were going through James Brown. This, quite famously, is the denouement of that film, their, their version of Try a Little Tenderness, and it's really good, I have mm-hmm. to say. Uh, Commitments is a good film. You should go and watch it. Well, yeah, and I think I think that it's underrated in sort of its cultural impact. That like certainly for for myself and presumably for you and people of our age, that a lot of these. So I I'd never heard the name Wilson Pickett before watching the Commitments. Nope. So you know, like the, a lot of names that subsequently went on to to learn about and enjoy. That came from that film, like so that. But as I, as I mentioned uh, last week, uh, so two weeks ago, the the footage of James Brown performing and that proper the carrying him off and with the cloak around him and all that kind of stuff that I'd never I'd never seen that before. No, I I agree. It's a really good film. Go and watch it. So yeah, there, there's a good version. Uh, and the other one I want to talk about is: Can we talk about the insult that was the 
bounty advert in the 80s using a sort of sexy Blue Lagoon style cover version of this song. I do not remember that at all. I mean, I, I envy you. So it was a dreadful rendition of a classic tune. But, like, I'm sorry, can you imagine the fucking gall of Mars trying to think that fucking Bounty was deserving of Try A Little Tenderness? Fuck all the way off. Yes, yes, fuck all the way Well, fuck all the way off anyway, because it's Bounty, which exactly. is... <laughs> the worst chocolate bar. Yes, it's dreadful. De- like, what I want is desiccated coconut, which is fucking disgusting, so... <laughs> and I'm going to wrap it in shit chocolate. <laughs> Like honestly, celebrations. What are you playing at? Like, how is that still a staple in there? Because it's dirty. It is dirty. It 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 is it, dirty. Is right. Just fucking stick more maltesers in there. That's what everyone buys celebrations yeah. for. Ah <laughs> uh, dear. But yeah, there was. So in the eighties, there, there was a bounty advert which had a, a real like a like imagine imagine a bad Sade tribute act. Doing a, a, a sultry version of Try a Little Tenderness, oh. and that's what it was. Mm. <laughs> Awful stuff. Um, but yes, I think this is a perfect way to end a really good album. Uh, it's great. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. All right, we're done. Okay, yeah, we are all done. So, some reviews. So, generally, like, so as I said, like, what I could find is that the reviews weren't massively. Which is which is weird. Weren't massively praising of it. So I've, in terms of the all music one, they only gave it three stars. But I, I, do you know what? Like I can't believe they only gave it three stars just for the simple reason that. So I'll I'll quote from it. it says. Beyond the musical power of his performance, Redding's emotions are practically overflowing as he addresses the crowd in a very personal manner as he introduces these arms of mine. The only flaw in the recording, if there is one, is that it only it does only have only ten songs. But that was the nature of the shows on that tour. So you gave it three out of five, but you're saying it's absolutely phenomenal, but it's just yeah. not long enough. Like that makes no sense to me. No, it doesn't make any sense. Three out of five is fucking ridiculous for this. I'm sorry. Uh, without giving any spoil, well, yes, giving some spoilers away for what we're going to do in a few minutes. I'm giving it more than six out of ten. I'll tell you that for nothing. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and somebody else has reviewed it. In fact, yep. numerous times, and keeps changing his fucking mind on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, go on then. So he wrote in 1969. So who are you referring to? So we know who you're his nobbyist himself, <laughs> Nobby McGee, Robert Criscow. So he selected uh, Live in Europe as represent a representative of Otis Redding in his basic rock library of 25 albums. I mean, already, like, he's pissing me off. <laughs> it's not rock album for starters. Okay. So, and this is a quote from him. So, meanwhile, back where it all started, black music was becoming self-consciously black, returning to blues and gospel, and the late Otis Redding was king. Despite the limitations of in-concert recording, this album is his best because Redding's stage presence was integral to his popularity because it contains most of his best songs. Remember that the audience is white. No other black performer has, has ever been able to bridge the racial barrier so completely whilst remaining so true to himself and his skin. That's why we miss him so much. So, okay. I mean, generally for for Nobby McGee, it stayed on point. Like, yep. and I think there's there's a lot in there that you can actually agree mm-hmm. with. Yes. However, so he's he's done numerous other reviews of it. Oh, go on then. So later appraisals have ranged from it capturing a sensitive soul man at his toughest and most outgoing. Okay. 
Okay, yeah, fine. To it being among Reading's worst due to too many concessions <laughs> to an English audience, they're not even it's fucking in English. France, dickhead! <laughs> that wanted fast rock and roll songs. Make your fucking mind up. <laughs> oh my fucking God. Well, because I had read the first of those quotes and I was like, oh, that's quite sensible, but wow, I, don't, I hadn't read. Jesus Christ, Nobby. Uh, he's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like he's, he, he's managed to like. Well, it's in Europe, so it must be England. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking moron. Okay. Although, as you said, to be fair, the 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 voices that you can hear calling out are uh, English. Well, they're not voices. even English. They're American voices. American, that's true. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Okay. Well, fuck off, Nobby. <laughs> okay. I will sadly move on to the legacy, which unfortunately mm. means talking about. The circumstances of Otis Redding's death. Yeah. So they were traveling to performance in 1967. They were traveling to performances in Otis Redding's plane, obviously doing pretty well. So they appeared on the upbeat uh, TV show in Cleveland and then played three uh, concerts in two nights at a club called Leo's Casino. Bet that's proper dingy. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds like somewhere you find in fucking Blackpool, that. <laughs> so after that, they uh, the next stop was Madison, Wisconsin. So next day, uh, they were due to play at the Factory Nightclub near the University of Wisconsin. Plane takes off, but the weather was, was really bad. But they still decided to take off in heavy rain and fog. Unfortunately... Four miles from their destination, the pilot asked for permission to land, but shortly thereafter, the plane crashed into Lake Monanoa. Only one one person survived, was the Barkeys member, Ben Corley, and the cause of the crash has never been determined. So besides Otis Redding, the rest of the Barkeys, apart from Ben Corley, died. Their valet, Matthew Kelly, I'm leaving that one alone. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, he didn't die. <laughs> he went on to post, you bet, and then stars in their eyes. And the, and the pilot. Otis's body was recovered the next day when the lake was searched. And the funeral took place um, in the city auditorium in Macon, which they they family postponed the service in order to get a bigger venue because so many people wanted to come. Wow. So more than four and a half thousand people came to the funeral and were overflowing because the uh, hall only seated three thousand. Wow! Jerry Wexler um, delivered the eulogy, and he died just three days after re-recording "Sitting on the on the Dock of the Bay," which gives it a poignancy that um, yeah. that lives on in that song. The subsequent subsequent album sold approximately four million copies worldwide. And was the first posthumous album to reach the top spot in the UK. So, if I may, to bring some levity into things, or slight levity into things, my first introduction to Otis Redding at all was sitting on the dock of the bay and its use in Top Gun in, uh, in 1986. So, do you know what? I didn't think you were going to say that. I thought you were going to say... I, my first introduction to sitting on the dock of the bay was Vic and Bob sitting on the dock of the bay, watching the tide coming in and going out again. So the only the the last thing I want to say is that his uh, premature death also absolutely devastated Stax, and Stax Records never recovered from it. So they were already on the verge of bankruptcy, but they soon learned after his death that. 
the Atco division of Atlantic Records actually owned the entire rights to his song catalogue, not Stacks. Ouch. And there were lots of subsequent posthumous releases. Um, so there's a Live in London album and loads of others that, that came out afterwards. And Stax never recovered from that. E, ouch. Yeah, really, really tragic. And as we said right at the start, you sort of robbed the world of, of one of its great performers who could and probably would have gone on to be at least as prolific and as popular as james brown okay so what's your best song worst song all right okay so i'm gonna do my worst song first and i mean it's hard to choose a worst song because everything on it is really good mm-hmm. but purely by process of elimination i'm gonna go with day tripper it, it as i said it's just I like it a lot. It's just missing something for me. So it is far from bad, but to me, it's the weakest track on here. Fair enough. Best song. I mean, as I've just said, very rich pickings here. I could pretty much pick anything and make a case for it. Uh, So I'm just going to go with the track that I had most fun listening to, and that's Shake, because it's an absolute rammer. Fair, fair enough, but like an excellent choice. I mean, I could, I could obviously try a little tenderness is probably your obvious choice, but it just gets edged out. So blame Bounty for that fucking Bounty. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Okay, so for me, uh, the worst song. It's really tough. This. I mean, I, I had an issue with satisfaction because of the the sound quality on it. Mm. Oh, I'm. I, so I'm. I think I'm going to go with Satisfaction, and it is merely on sound quality, and that is the only thing. Understandable, yeah, okay. Um, so Best Song is incredibly difficult. I love this entire album. I've Been Loving You Too Long is, is spellbinding, but I'm going to be Johnny Obvious. I go with my favourite Otis Redding song, which is always Try a Little Tenderness, and, yeah, it's, be- okay. and it's a belting end. So It is. So that's, that's my favourite song. Fine. Fair enough. Perfectly cromulent choices both. Um, but like you said, it's really hard to pick a weakest because it, there's not really anything weak on here. No, so let us enter the ring of death. Yeah. Okay, so as is, picks. as is traditional, my picks. So I will start with James Brown and then I will finish, finish us up with Otis Redding. So, wow. I mean, so Live at the Apollo is a phenomenal album james brown is just amazing brilliantly performed like the band and again unfortunately get screwed screwed over um <laughs> but they are they are they are fantastic the he's got him eaten out of the palm of his hands the crowd are, are loving it it's the only thing i will say sort of negative about it is that really and this is my own fault for the choice, is that this is not my favourite James Brown period. Mm-hmm. That my favourite James Brown period is later. So I could have chosen a later James Brown live album and had more of that kind of stuff on it. The, so there's a couple there's a couple of songs that both of us weren't too keen on. But like to have that kind of performance crammed into little over half an hour. <sighs> Amazing. Uh, yeah. So... Eight and a half. Wow, that's high. Okay, 
I agree with a lot of what you've said, so I'm going to try not to repeat myself. It's an incredible performance. It showcases how strong a live presence James Brown was and would continue to be for the next 40 years. And as we said when we went through the album, it's you can hear the seeds of what he was about to become over the next decade. The pace at which you get through eight tracks is incredible. <laughs> and one of those tracks is nearly 11 minutes long. I, I don't think it's worthy of eight and a half. And that's purely for... And, and you said it yourself that he would go on to become much more than what you hear on this album. And that's not to take away from anything this album is, but all of the James Brown tracks that I love to hear came after this. And whilst this is a, a really good document of him at that time, it isn't a document of what he would go on to be. That doesn't make much sense considering it's a snapshot. No, no, I understand what that means. I do, however, give it credit for the impact and the fact that it was a million seller and the fact that it gave him that platform to become the godfather of soul. So, you know, as I do, I have to take that into consideration when I'm scoring. I'm going to go seven and a half because I think it's really good, but he would go on to do better things. And as you said, he would go on to record better live albums as well. So seven and a half for me. Okay. I think this is going to be a close one today. So what is that? That's a 16 for Robert the Apollo. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then we finish up with Live in Europe. So Tim, please take us through your scores and reasoning. Okay. So 10 tracks played at a million miles an hour, showcasing everything good about Otis Redding as a vocalist, as a performer, as a frontman, and everything good about Booker T and the MGs as a really tight, really energetic, really proficient live band. It does blend some of his most famous tracks, which are all played phenomenally well and just showcase why they are some of his most famous tracks. And it blends it with with some really innovative cover versions, uh, which sound incredible. The sound quality does suffer at times. We both talked about that, and that does detract from my enjoyment, but not significantly. As I've said, for me, it's Otis Redding and Wilson Pickett, who are my favourite male vocalists. Can't really pick between them. And this is every reason I love to listen to Otis Redding. So this one I'm going to give eight and a half to. Okay, very very strong score. What about you? So for me, as you say, as we said throughout, this is a artist and a band that are absolutely on fire from the opening of Respect to the end of Try a Little Tenderness. It is a tour de force. You have songs played at a million miles an hour. You have ballads that break your heart you have poignancy you have pathos you have funk you have stuff you can shake to you know you've got everything going on um you've also got a mad lady shouting out which <laughs> which we which we're both big fans of we are um so it's almost perfect but the sound issues are what hold it back mm-hmm. so i it can't get a 10 because it does interfere with with your enjoyment of it. So Agreed. I'm going to come down with a nine. 
It's Ooh, it's wow. It's brilliant. And it's only like if someone could run it through something and clean up the sound and yeah. then it would be perfect. I agree. There there is a remastered version, but even that doesn't completely resolve the yeah. issues. So I agree with you there. Nine. So that's what, seventeen and a half. So actually, not as close as 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 it may have been, to be fair. But a deserved winner. Yeah, We've definitely a higher score. Uh, we're both big fans of Otis, and again, I want to thank you for introducing me to to funk and soul music and forcing me to listen to things like this because I had a good time listening to both of these albums. So a really good choice. Well done. Thank you very much. So. Where are we going next? Where are we going next? Well, so that is going to be the last of our of our live season. Uh, I'm sure we'll do live albums again in future, but it's time to, to go on to a different theme. And it is a theme that we have touched on before and one we said we'd come back to, and that is uh, our musical road trip. So picking a, a, a city and going through two bands who are from that city, basically. Um, and... The first stop we were so the last one we did I think was New York. We did the Strokes versus Interpol. I think that was a, that was probably about twelve months ago now. So we're staying in the states and we are going back to the nineties. Of course, we're going back to the nineties. It's me. I've got no imagination. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're going back to White Fellows with guitars because Kevin, we are going to Seattle. Oh, I'm liking where we're heading. Yeah, and I had a, there's a lot we could do from Seattle, uh, a lot of links and clashes we can do, but I, I'm going to be Johnny Obvious, I'm afraid. Um, we're going to 1991. We're going to do two albums that were released within a month of each other. So in our next pod, I'm going to take us through Pearl Jam's 10 from August of 1991. Wow. And two weeks hence, I would like you to go through the classic Nevermind by Nirvana. We are we are pulling out the big boys. We are pulling out the big boys. Two albums which surely everyone will be familiar with. Two albums which we were inevitably going to cover at some point on Album Clash. And two albums which I think will have an absolute slobber knocker of a battle to see who wins. Lovely choice of uh, slobber knocker there. Bagard! Bagard! <laughs> Uh, yeah, so there you go. We are doing Pearl Jam versus Nirvana. Um, looking forward to it. Great stuff. So all that is left for me is to do our traditional outro. So mm. during the last few weeks, as you know, at Album Clash, we'd like to bring you the more esoteric stories. We'd like to bring you the the things that you may not have come across. Now, I understand that it has been covered by other other media outlets, so my apologies if you have heard it before. But whilst on Twitter, you can discover about means of cheating in chess tournaments, <laughs> which include vibrating anal beads. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so you can discover more about the various... Um, ways that they uh, choose to cheat in chess on Twitter. You can also then check out our Twitter page, at Clash Album. You can check out our carefully curated quality content on Instagram, at Clash Album. Or if you want to sign Tim up for any vibrating thing that he can use to (laughs) cheat at chess, you can... um... Or or insert into my anus. (laughs) You can send it to... 
albumclash at gmail.com please do uh, I always like free gifts <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent stuff I mean it's been rich pickings actually so can I also give special mentions to Ian Brown for charging people 40 quid to hear him do shit karaoke uh, yeah well we've we've said before that Ian Brown struggles to be in tune like at least a band usually drowns it out <laughs> exactly uh, and also that dickhead from Maroon 5 for being a horny teen yeah and um the continued destruction of the planet um is continuing on its path not i'm not even going to go vladimir putin way um elon musk has has built himself a sex robot (laughs) nice sorry an ai prototype (laughs) yeah (laughs) if that's not the if that's not the terminator then Well, I'd say it's probably much more Ex Machina than The Terminator. (laughs) Go and see Ex Machina. It's a great film. It is a really good film. Uh, Right, okay, people are bored uh, about us talking about shit on Twitter. So, yeah, I'm going to call it. Thank you very much for listening, guys. As I always say, please uh, subscribe to the show. Please share it with people. Tell people what we're doing. Follow us on the socials. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you think of us. All that shite. Just a reminder, in our next pod, I'm going to be taking us through Pearl Jam's 10 from 1991. Until then, however, I have, as usual, been And I continue to be careful. And we shall see you next time, guys. Take care. Ta-da. Ta-da. Bye.